0: Thank you, Debbie. Thank you for battling through all those names. You did better than me. If uh, <laughs> if there's only one name you weren't sure how to pronounce, and uh, thank you, Adam and Jess, for inviting uh, me here to come and uh, speak on this special day. Uh, as Neil said, uh, our links as a family with Adam and Jess go back many years and uh, run very deep. So it's a great privilege to be able to uh, come. Adam did the return gig for me uh, about uh, a month or so ago when I was formally licensed as a vicar in my parish. Again, uh, a long time after it should have happened, but there we go. That's, uh, that's the way these things happen at the moment. And uh, I happen to work in the parish where Neil and Debbie, where Neil served his curacy. And so I bring greetings from Shirley to, uh, to both of you. And it's uh, special to be with uh, all four of them. Now, I'm not here to reminisce. Uh, I'm here to help explain this passage uh, which Debbie has just read to us. And let me just... Uh, this, this is more high-tech than we're used to. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be able to control the PowerPoint from here. In my church, uh, we've had about three power cuts this morning, apparently. So those on the live stream, uh, certainly at our church, would have failed miserably, I'm afraid. So let me pray as we turn to this passage. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word to us thank you for the gift of your spirit to us and we pray that your spirit would come and make these ancient words fresh to us. Show us their relevance. Show us how you want them to shape our lives so that we can live for your glory. Amen. Well, this pandemic has been tough for everyone, hasn't it? Every individual, every family, every organization, every church. It's been tough for every every church, every church leadership team. And we've been forced to ask searching questions about what it means to be church, what it means to live as Christians uh, in this sort of day and age. I remember one of my congregation telling me once uh, about one Sunday during lockdown, they said uh, they'd been painting the radiator in their underwear as they were listening to church. And I didn't know whether to sort of laugh or cry at that one. But, you know, it's been so difficult for all of us, both those, if you like, in the pews, uh, as well as those in church leadership. And I guess that for this church, like for every church, there was a lot of frenetic activity. You know, people working out the logistics of live streaming, how to do pastoral care to those in crisis, uh, trying to maintain some semblance of community, even whilst people were separated trying to uh, carry on serving South Sea. Loads of frenetic activity. Just as it was for Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem all those years ago, as they were rebuilding the city walls whilst trying to face opposition and uh, trying to ensure the poor were looked after and so on. And so this chapter that you're looking at today is about what happened next after all that frenetic activity had finished. Did Nehemiah say... Oh, you can all take a well-earned rest now. No, not quite. First, he called a public gathering and got them to listen to God's word for six hours. You think some of the sermons here are long. Well, you know, six hours just standing, listening to God's word. But, you know, God's people have always been people of the book. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, God's word to us is vitally important to us. It's our staple diet, spiritually. If we wander away from the Bible, we wander away from God. It is as simple as that. We read the Bible, not just as an end in itself, but to know God better, to know how to serve him, to know how he wants us to relate to him. But the irony is that whilst the uh, Bible has never been easier to access in our country, on our phones, uh, you know, on YouTube, even in print, you know, the Bible has probably never been less well read amongst Christians, let alone less well known amongst the wider population think for a moment. How committed are you to hearing and living out the word of God? If you could rate yourself on a scale of naught to ten, how committed are you to hearing and living out the word of God? You know, a nought is, well, I'm not engaging with God's word at all. A ten would be, uh, I can't go by a day without hearing some part of God's word and reflecting on it deeply. Now, I'm not going to ask us to, uh, to do hands up or anything like that for what uh, rank you give yourself, but I want you to be honest. I know at times, uh, as my mood has gone up and down through this pandemic, I've at times really struggled to to read God's word, to engage with it, but I, I've tried to persevere. I've tried different apps, or I've you know, tried different devotional books, different things just to mix it up To try to help me engage with God's word day by day. So how committed are you as an individual to hearing and living out God's words? What's your score? And my guess is that none of us have ranked ourselves as a 10. Now, I haven't done that exercise to make us feel guilty. But I've done it just to help us as we reflect on this chapter. There's some prayers that I think we can pray which will help everyone who's ranked themselves 0 to 9. And to help us. To engage more with God's word. To help cover up some of our excuses. And here's the first prayer that, uh, that we can pray. Lord, make me hungry for your words. And expectant to hear from you. See, look what God's people were like in those days. In verse 1, the people are clamoring to hear God's words. They're impatient for Ezra to get on with reading it. I wonder how often we clamor to hear God's words. Verse 3, the people listened attentively to the book of the law. But I wonder how often our minds wonder when we're trying to focus on God's words. And you can see how engaged they are in verse 5. When Ezra stood up to start reading, they all stood up as well to listen. And when Ezra started by praising God, they all lifted their hands in worship and they bowed down with their faces to the ground. They're 100% engaged, ready to hear from God. And As I see their passion for God's Word. I'm reminded of watching some videos of Christians in parts of Africa or Asia as they receive the Bible in their own language for the very first time. And what do they do? Well, they cry with joy. They dance. They sing. They celebrate. They feast. You know, they, they, it is such a special day for them. they know that they now hold in their hands the vehicle through which the God of the universe is going to speak to them in their own language. It is such a special day for them. Such is their hunger for God's words. And surely if we too really believe that the God who who threw stars into space wants to speak to me and wants to speak to you, if we really believe that, then wouldn't we have that hunger for God's words? Lord, make me hungry. Make me expectant to hear from you. And to pray that is a prayer sort of against, it's an antidote to the lie that we don't have enough time to engage with the Bible. Now, I, I really, uh, I empathize with that when we say, oh, I haven't got enough time for that. And of course, But it's a question of making time, not having time, isn't it? You know, I make time to spend with Andrea, my wife. I make time to watch a bit of football. I make time to to go out for a walk. And I have to make time to engage with the Bible. It doesn't just happen by itself. None of those things happen by themselves. And so can I encourage you to make time. You know, use a Bible reading app or listen on the bus or whilst you're out walking or however you want to engage with God's word. Make the time to engage deeply. Or maybe just take one verse, write it down, look at it at different points during the day, slip it in a card in your pocket. Pray regularly that God would give you this hunger for his word because that is what will help you make time to engage with it. And it's a great prayer to pray as a church corporately as well. Uh, I wonder how as a church corporately you are committed to God's word and to hearing it. Not just paying it lit service, but but letting it shape how your church community continues to develop and evolve over these coming months as we relearn how to do church, as we work out what the new normal is for our church. It's great that the first gift that Adam was was given was a Bible. So symbolic. And for Nehemiah, the Bible was absolutely foundational. So here they were, Jerusalem, they'd just finished building the walls. They're only a few days on since finishing the walls. And what's the first thing they do? Listen to the word of God. And so the Bible has got to be so foundational to everything that happens as you rebuild church and church community here. Lord, make us hungry for your word and expectant to hear from you. Well, here's another prayer uh, that you can pray. Lord, help me understand your words. You see, for some people, I'm fully aware that, uh, you know, it's not making time or anything like that that is the struggle. It's actually to understand God's words. And you've tried or you've tried and tried again to, to try to understand God's word, but you just feel it's, it's like a brick wall to you. And I empathize, you know, at times, even after years of theological training, sometimes I struggle to understand parts of God's word. But the great thing is that the Bible isn't just written to us as individuals, it's written to us as a community. And so we can ask other people, Lord, you know, show me who can help me understand this. And back in Nehemiah's day, they had these uh, thousands of people gathered in a huge square... And verse 4 tells us that Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, had a a specially built pulpit to read from. He would read a chunk of scripture. And then it seems from verse 7 as though stationed around the square were 13 Levites, people who'd been specially trained for this, and their job was to unpack and explain what Ezra had been reading. And the end result, repeated a couple of times in this, is the people understood. And you see, the priests and Levites of the Old Testament weren't just there to offer sacrifices. They were there to teach God's word to God's people. And in the New Testament, it's clear that one of the key roles of church leaders is to teach God's word to God's people. That's what, one of the key things that Adam has been set apart to do. And if you feel that the Bible is sometimes unintelligible to you, pray regularly. Lord, help me understand your words. And ask for help from others as too. Ask uh, Neil or Adam. Listen to preachers online. Join a a, a small group if you're not in one already. Great places for helping to understand God's words. Here's another prayer to pray. Uh, Lord, make my heart tender to your words. Sometimes it's as though the spiritual arteries of our hearts get clogged up, don't they? either because we're so familiar with God's word that we think it hasn't got anything new to teach us. Sometimes I find myself thinking like that. Or the arteries of our spiritual hearts become hardened because we think God's word is irrelevant. But either way, God's word doesn't touch us deep down like it's supposed to. It doesn't stir emotion in us. So pray, God, make my heart tender to your word. You see, God's word is supposed to provoke a reaction in us. In verse 9, we read that all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They weren't crying because the sermon was so bad. They weren't crying because they couldn't understand God's word. They were crying because they could understand God's word. And they suddenly realized how far short of God's word they had been living. How sinful they were. Hebrews 4 tells us in the New Testament, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating deep within us, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And as it does that, it's going to produce an emotional reaction within us. Sometimes we will weep. But God's word shouldn't just produce sorrow as a reaction, it should bring joy as well. When Nehemiah saw the people weeping, he, he sidled up to Ezra and uh, whispered in his ear, okay, that's enough for today. And then he shouts out to the people in a loud voice, verse 10, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites stationed around the square, back him up. Verse 11, don't grieve, they say. And so, verse 12, all the people went away to eat and drink to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been read to them. And it's strange, isn't it, how God's word can bring both grief and joy. Grief as they understand their own sin more deeply. Joy as they understand that God has forgiven them. Grief as they realised that their nation's exile had all been their own making because of their disregard for God's ways. But joy as they realised that God is still committed to them despite that. He'd promised to bring them back and now he has. And I wonder, are grief and joy part of your response to God's words? Let's be praying, Lord, make my heart tender to your word. And you see, I fear that some of us stop at grief and we never discover the joy that God's word is supposed to bring. It's as though they've only entered into half of the gospel. They think of themselves just as miserable sinners and they, they without stepping into the joy of knowing God's forgiveness. Well, they think, oh, I'm not doing very well as a Christian. W- without realizing that the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus has done it all for us. Or they only get as far as thinking, well, I ought to go to church. Without realizing that here is a whole new family to encourage us and come alongside us to celebrate with us and grieve with us. Or they think, oh, well, I ought to read the Bible. Rather than entering into the joy of knowing that this is the God of the whole universe who is speaking to to us individually. What a privilege. God himself is joyful. He wants us to live in his joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I wonder, have you entered into that fullness of joy that God wants us to experience? Maybe the prayer for you is, Lord, let me enter into the fullness of your joy. You know, Jesus talked to his disciples about experiencing a joy that no one would be able to take away from them. In other words, a joy that isn't just for happy times and celebrations, but a joy which sustains us even through the darkest times. That's why the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the strength to keep going even through the darkness. Some of you will know the band, uh, the Wren Collective. Uh, They sing a song called, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength, from this very verse. And two of their band members, a husband and wife, have shared about having the devata- devastating experience of having a miscarriage. And then having to go on stage and sing in front of hundreds or thousands of people and be full of joy. And they said this. Even though the, you know, singing and leading worship was the last thing they felt like doing, they said, Most people think that joy is just for happy people or optimists or that it's easy when times are good. For us, we really proved it in difficult circumstances. That's what gave us the strength to go on. We chose joy and faith and trust rather than despair and cynicism. And we want to encourage you to do the same. No matter what storms you're going through, the joy of the Lord is your strength as well. Maybe that's a word for some of you here. I don't know what storms you're going through at the moment. But may the joy of the Lord be your strength too. Here's one final prayer to pray. Lord, make my will obedient to your words. And you see, sometimes if we're honest, the reason that we shy away from engaging with the Bible itself is because if we're honest, we fear that God is going to say something to us that we really don't want to hear. I was chatting with uh, someone in our congregation just a few days ago who who hasn't been praying about a key decision that he wants to make. And I teased out a little bit why he hadn't been praying about that when he's happy to pray about loads of other things. And it was because he was afraid of what God might say to him. I'm sure he's not the only one to do that. And so maybe deep down we... You know, we're quite comfortable as we are and we're fearful that God is going to ask us to change. He's going to ask us to to give up a a bad habit that we have or an addiction that we can't let go of or a wrong lifestyle. Or he's going to ask us to start doing something which we, we don't feel comfortable with. We shy away from God's word because we don't want to be challenged. But here's the thing. Remember that God is always for you. He's never against you. He's always for you. And so if he asks us you to, to do something which you know, feels a bit difficult, which feels uncomfortable, it is always for our good, and never for our bad. Yes, it might be a difficult and painful process, but it's always for our good. God is always on our side. And later on in this chapter from Nehemiah, the people gathered together again, this time just the heads of the families, and they listened to some more of God's word. They realized there's some festivals they haven't been keeping, which they were supposed to be keeping, including one called the Festival of Booths that was supposed to be happening that very month. And so straight away, they put it into practice at no small inconvenience. It means they had to collect material to make tents, they had to camp away from home for a while, they had to leave their fields again. But it says their joy was very great. In other words, their obedience, even though costly, brought them great joy. So let's keep praying. Lord, make my will obedient to your word. And as you pray that over the coming weeks and months, you'll find that God gives you the courage to address those things which you're reluctant to address. And you'll find a surprising joy because there is no greater joy than knowing that we are walking in God's will. Now, my time is up Uh, i'm not going to go on for six hours but there's just you know those are the the five suggested prayers that we can pray as we approach god's word by ourselves uh, and as a church pray and discern what god's will is what his new normal is for you as a church community pray these prayers as you try to work out how to live uh, the, the lives that god has called you as individuals to live as well don't you just take one of those five prayers you know which one is most relevant to you and just in the quietness start to pray that now so we'll be quiet for a few minutes and then i'll lead us in prayer God, it is such a privilege that you want to speak to us, that you, the God of the universe, know us by name and call us by name. That you, the God who looks at the whole world, knows this church, St. Jude's, and longs to direct this church. Lord, forgive us when we are reluctant to listen to your word, reluctant to live it out. Would you give us this hunger for your words? Would you make our hearts tender to your words? Would you help us to put it into practice? Give us that joy of knowing you speaking to us and the joy that comes from obeying your words and we pray so that Jesus would be glorified in our lives as individuals and in your life collectively together as a church Amen